vocation where it's just like, ah, angels come around and tell you, you are called to the priesthood. That doesn't happen. I mean, maybe it's it for you. That's awesome, Padre. Let's still have that. Okay, so, I want you to remember that in baptism, okay, there's something really important that happens. Baptism is a sign for us. It happens with water. What happens in imagery of scripture with water, with the Israelites? Right? They're fleeing from the Egyptians. They pass through the what? The Red Sea. Baptism is an image for us, as well as an efficacious sign, meaning something that truly brings about what it represents. That though the enemy pursues us, right? God is victorious. God is the victor. Right? It says in Scripture that God himself will fight for you. You have only to be still. If you are given the gift of baptism, you are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? That means that oh cool. That means that your bodies have now become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about temple, what we mean is that in the Old Testament, right, a temple is a structure or a place where the presence of God chose to dwell. Let me repeat that. The place where the presence of God chose to dwell. Meaning that at our baptism, God chooses to dwell within each one of us. That's a really big deal. What that means also is that then what I do with my body shows to others around me, right, as a baptized Christian, specifically some of us are Catholic, but as a Christian, what that shows is that what I do with my body, if I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, am I bringing, like, reverence to the Lord, or am I bringing abuse? Right, like, my body is that important. So that's a question that we have to ask. Two main things that I want to show you in terms of vocation would be the concept of self-gift and the concept of our call is to give and to receive love. So let me read for you this quote from the Catechism, and it says, God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, and a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all his strength. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children, and thus heirs of his blessed life. Okay, that was a lot of words, but you can't see on the screen because, well, my presentation got deleted. So, the point is that God, out of sheer goodness, y'all, just out of pure love, God did not have a need for anything. But if something is truly love, it overflows, right? It wants to give of itself. God the Father delighted to create us for the sake of delighting to create us. Right? But in terms of baptism with the Holy Spirit, we literally become adopted sons and daughters of God, right? Of God Himself. Your calling, first and foremost, forever, will always remain that if you are a man, you are a son of God. That is your vocation, to be a son. And if you are a woman, you are a daughter of God. That is your vocation, to be a daughter. What does that mean? That means that my first posture must always be one of receptivity. I don't care how strong you are as a man. You have to receive the gift that the Father longs to give you as a man in order to give life to those around you. Right? That's extremely important. 
Um, these cute little birds are going to probably accompany me the whole time. So, self-gift. What does this mean? I am going to be offering myself to someone else, but I can't do it in, in part from my body. So this presentation was meant for young women. I gave this to high school girls. Um, so maybe it's because International Women's Day. But just fill in man, right? This is for men and women. Woman and man can only find themselves their sincere gifts of self. Hey, if you want the answer to life's questions, you're trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with my life, you come to know yourself more and more when you give of yourself to another. But a truly authentic gift, a truly free gift, is one in which I know myself enough to know the gift that I'm offering. And the only way that I can know myself to know the gift that I'm offering is if I first receive the affirmation of that gift from the Father. Right? None of our earthly fathers is perfect. Um, ironic enough, this is interesting for me because today's my birthday, so I've been like really aware of like, oh, my daughter, and like, this is so fun, and everyone delights you, it's your birthday. But like really, for me, I feel like it's because I need to share with you. Do you know what it feels like on your birthday, aside from when you still coffee on yourself and you lose the whole presentation? What it feels like, right, is that you actually know what you mean to people, right? On the best of moments on your birthday, people are trying to reach out and affirm for you. Like, hey, you're loved, and you were good. The reality is that God the Father delights in you in that way every single moment of your life. Anything that you do or can do or have done will never erase that. Right? Ever. Because your goodness is a gift that you receive first from himself. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, which part? You have to receive the gift and the affirmation of your goodness always first from the Father. Because you are a son or a daughter. When we are a child, when you are a baby, you ultimately are in such a place of receptivity because you're weak, you can't do it on your own, right? We are incapable of even walking when we're babies. That is how God the Father deals with us no matter how old we are. That is the littleness to which we are called. That is the purity of vision to which we are invited, right? That I can be like a child and I can look at the Father and I can say, Daddy, you promised. You promised to give me this good gift and I desire it. Will you please give it to me? And then as a child, we don't stop asking him if he doesn't give it. Because what do children do? Oh my gosh, you say no. And they're like, okay, no, but really? Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? Right? Like, I know that for us, we can get tired when children ask us repetitive questions. Remember that quote from Ray, way, way back, the first presentation? Some of you weren't here. It was by G.K. Chesterton, and he said, right, that maybe it isn't that every single day the sun needs to rise as it does, or that the daisies need to grow as they do. Maybe it's that God the Father delights so much, right, in the sun rising and in making these daisies that he is intentional in each act when this happens, right? And at the end, it says, for we have sinned and grown very old, and our Father is younger than we. Right? Our Father is younger than we. God still has this infinite appetite of infancy, meaning he's like a child in his desire to share love, right? And to give love, right? To give love to us so that we can share in it and offer it to those around us. To be like him to be his children. 
right? Remember we said that we're made in the image and likeness of God. What does this mean? This means that when I look at someone, I should look at them and see that they are a mirror who reflects back to me who God is. That's a part of my existence as a daughter of God. It's a part of your existence as a son or daughter of God. So, um, I'm just not going to worry about any of the slides. I'm just going to put a picture up to help you with this. And if you get bored during my talk, I'm not offended. I'd rather just look at this image anyway, because it's the answer to all of our freakouts about our vocations. Um, cool. This is Our Lady of Tyre and Knox. I just want to point something out to you, because I do think that she has a special role in all within vocation. So all of you here are probably, maybe you're not wrestling, and if you're not, praise God, and say thank you for that gift. But most of you are probably wrestling. Until the moment that you say, I do, and some of you are wrestling with what is the call upon my heart and upon my life. Over here, this person's doing this. Over here, this person's doing that. But Lord, what am I called to? Lord, I want you to speak. If you want to send me an email with a bulletin list, that would be great. But since you're probably not going to do that, I need you to be very clear with you about what you're calling me to, right? Okay. Christ, who reveals to man and woman who they are because he has taken on our humanity, who grew him up? Like, who nurtured him as a child? Who taught him how to pray? Who prepared him for his vocation in his earthly ministry? Mary and Joseph. Okay, in this image here, you see Our Lady on Tire of Knots. I was introduced to this about seven years ago, and it's been very, very helpful for me in this, like, wrestling with my vocation, right? I want you to notice that in her left hand, there's a rope with knots. Right? But the rope is moving through her hands from her left hand to her right hand. Right? And you see in her right hand the angel's holding that ribbon and there's no knots. Our Lady, her title, her picture is an untire of knots, is here for us to untie the knots of our lives. I want to say very firmly and very clearly to you tonight that whatever you are ultimately called to, whatever your ultimate quote vocation is, your vocation right now is to be present to this moment. Your vocation right now is holiness. Your vocation right now is actually more important than your vocation 20 years from now because if you don't live your vocation right now, you will not be ready to receive the gift of your vocation 20 years from now. Don't freak out. I just picked 20 years. I'm not saying you're all going to wait 20 years to make best. Okay. So, I want you to notice at the bottom of this image, you see these people, you kind of probably can't see them, but there's two people. One is an archangel, one is a human being. The archangel's name is Raphael. Raphael's name means healing. If you want some homework, you should go read the book of Tobit. In this book, look, you think you've got problems? There's this woman, her name's Sarah. I know, cool. Her name's Sarah. She marries seven men because each time she gets married, they die on the wedding night. Now, you're a woman and you struggle with like lies and like having issues, I want you to imagine her position. Not one, two, three, four, five, six, but seven, nine. She's like, okay, I do. Okay, you're dead. Like, what's wrong with me? Is that not a lie of the enemy? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? So Tobias is sent, right? Sarah pleads to heaven. It says in scripture that she hears the, the angels hear the plea, right, in the presence of God, and hear the plea of Sarah. And so this archangel Raphael guides Tobias to Sarah, right? He guides Tobias to Sarah and he says to him, perhaps she has been prepared for you from all eternity. 
from your father, you just freaked out the positive way. Like, hello, like perhaps she's been prepared for you for all eternity. This is very important. This image actually has a lot to do with vocations and with untying of knots. And hey, if you have ever experienced anything in the culture, let's talk about reality. Pornography is real. Abortion is real. Contraception is real, right? So, oh man, why is dating so difficult? Oh, I don't know. Because sexuality is totally confused right now. There's also this thing about gender theory. Are we even men and women? Is there really a difference? Right? And then perhaps some of the people that I wish were in our lives have been aborted or lost their contraception. Maybe some of the men and women that are supposed to be maturing right now are addicted to pornography and don't know how to escape from that. Is everyone with me right now? Do you hear what I'm saying? This is important. What I'm not saying is that this is a lost cause. What I am saying is that God's mercy is endless and boundless. And this, the gift of Our Lady, is that she is a gift of mercy to us. There is not this lost hope, but I need to make sure you understand, and this has helped me in my own life. I was giving a talk several months ago, and I said something about, like, no, I really do think there's a crisis amongst the dating field, right? It's not just that women were like, we do empower women, like, we don't want to ever get married. No. It's also because if we're trying to make a valid decision, a good decision, women and men are both struggling to grow up to the calling they have received, right? So people are getting married later because we're like, uh, is this a good decision? I don't know. God is not limited by numbers. I don't want you to leave from this talk and be like, well, this is great. So what I got from this is that it's going to be very difficult to find someone that I can marry that's like holy and striving for Christ. I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to say in this talk is that God is a God of miracles. He's a God of miracles. What are the deepest desires on your heart? I don't want you making decisions about your vocation if you're not even in touch with your own desires. God wants to work in and through the gift of your freedom. Do you understand that the beginning and the fall, the one gift that he refused to ever go against was our freedom. It's because the gift was so good, but we weren't yet ready for it. What does it say in the Song of Songs? It says, do not arouse, do not awaken, do not stir love before it's time. He's not saying avoid love. He's saying wait for it to ripen. Wait for it to be the appropriate time. Wait for the right person who has proven themselves worthy, a.k.a. with vows to you, till death do us part, before you give the greatest gift you can give of yourself, which is the gift of your body, right? Our bodies are a tangible reality that point to us about these deeper, invisible, intangible realities. Our bodies inform us about who we are. So, imagine with me if there were bolts and lifts underneath these birds that, for man, Right? What is your identity as a man? If we're going to answer the gifts of your vocation, we have to recall, what is your identity as a man? Man, first and foremost, you are a son. As you grow and move out of this family unit, you develop relationships with those amongst you, then you are a brother. Right? I'm going to include, you usually hear, son, brother, bridegroom or husband, and father. In the middle, I'm going to stick a virgin, because I think it's important. For a woman, right, it's going to be daughter. You move out of the family unit, you become sister. Virgin, you move further on when the time is ripe, wife or bride, further mother, right? 
We just saw a lot of slides this last presentation about the beauty and the gift of women's fertility. I was showing you how biologically there is even a language that woman's body speaks. That woman's body biologically is constantly working to prepare her to receive the gift of life and to allow it to blossom and further develop and grow within her and then to share it with the world, right? Once again, what I'm not saying is that woman is called to have 20 kids, okay? Church doesn't say that. The church says woman is called to holiness. For every single woman in this room, that's going to look different. But that biological reality can point to us an even deeper spiritual reality. Men, every single one of you in this room is called to be a father. I'm going to say it again. Every single one of you in this room is called to be a father. Women, every single one of you in this room is called to be a mother. Again, every single one of you in this room is called to be a mother. That is a spiritual reality, first and foremost. Meaning, for men, your question about your vocation is in front of God. That's the one opinion that actually matters. In front of God. Who am I? And he says, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. From that place of affirmation and truth, you step out and you say, okay, this is who I am. What do I desire? Where your desires, think of this as like a horizontal reality, where your desires amongst the world and the people around you connect with this vertical reality of how the Father has affirmed you in your goodness. If I connect those two planes, what does it mean? A cross. It makes a cross. The gift of your vocation, ladies and gentlemen, just letting you know, it does involve a cross. But what's on the other side of the cross? The resurrection. Your vocation is the conduit or the way or the journey, the adventure, everything you can imagine to lead, prepare, and bring you to the fullness of the resurrection, right? Which includes and is heaven, God himself. So, to focus on the men for a second. When I say virgin, what do I mean? This is for the men and women, actually. Virgin, okay, a lot of times we're like, oh, virgin, never had sex. Okay, deeper than that, what does it mean? It means that someone who is integrated, who is single-hearted for a specific purpose, at this time in our lives, right, before we have taken vows, it is a calling for you to be single-hearted for a specific purpose, men and women, so that you can know yourself and that in knowing yourself, you can offer a more sincere and full gift of yourself at the time when you take vows. Right? So men, the call for you is to ask the question to the Lord, Lord, what are my desires? I'm called to be your spiritual father. Lord, I, I beg of you and I ask of you to enliven my heart and inflame my heart that if I'm called to the priesthood, that you move into such a way in my life that I respond to those invitations, that my heart starts to burn for that, right? If I'm called to be a biological father, which means first and foremost to be a man who gets on the cross and dies for his wife, right? To be a husband, right? Just to be specific. Then move in my heart in such a way, Lord, that I start to burn for that vocation. But I want you to understand, once again, this is not some sort of ethereal thing. If you were called to the priesthood, who are you marrying? There is a marriage. Who is it to? The church, right? If you are called to a physical marriage, you are called to marry a specific woman. Okay, this is why dating is a really good thing. You're not dating because you have all the answers. You're dating because you have all the questions. You're trying to find the answers. Do you understand? Dating, 
The word on my heart for myself and all of you as I'm preparing for this talk is like, hey, let's keep it simple. Let's keep it simple. You don't have to overanalyze dating. You don't have to know if he's the one on date one. In fact, if you bring it up, you're probably going to freak him out. Okay? Just see what color he likes and like what he likes to do for fun. That's a good start. Right? And I also want to reveal to you, you, know, you don't have to limit yourself so quickly. Right? The gift of this time in your lives is that you are given the gift to know men and women without needing to necessarily be in specific relationships. You can get to know a heck of a lot about a person in a friendship. Am I right? If you're truly honest and intentional about that friendship. I just want to acknowledge to this reality. When I talk about dating, um, you'll hear this more when I share more personal things coming up in the next few minutes. But like, I'm not up here also saying that dating is like super easy and like, oh my gosh, it's so much fun and, and like, we do it all the time. No, it stresses me out. Okay? Like, oh my gosh, sometimes I just stop. I don't want to think about it. Why? Because it's messy. It's messy. I don't care if you're a perfect person, which none of you are. I'm not either. And we're not called to marry perfect people. Right? Unless you marry the church, which is a very bruised and broken bride, right? She's not perfect. Um, women, you can marry Jesus, and he's the only perfect man that exists, right? We are not going to be marrying perfect people. So, foundationally speaking, men and women, I want you to see if you are called to a vacation that involves religious life or the priesthood, the vows that you are taking, they are very real. But what you exist as is a sign to the rest of the world that heaven is real. Because ultimately, the vows that you take on this side of heaven, we will be living them out when we are in heaven. Meaning we will be with fully and totally to God himself. Okay? So Sister Tracy, some of you met her, she's like, okay, is that woman like sad and like mopey? No, she's like the opposite. She's like a ball of sunshine. Always, always, trust me, right? Why? And how the heck does she look so young? I thought she was my age. She's not, okay? She's like almost 20 years older than I am. She looks so young, ask her. She'll tell you. Jesus keeps his brides young. You want to stay young, marry Jesus. That's what she said. Right? And look, I want you to see also and hear this. Sorry, all this is more scattered and cute birds behind me, but it's fine. Sister Tracy should not be so... Now you're more personal. I'm a woman, 28 as of today, feeling called to marriage. Now, the fact that I'm not married yet, is this some sort of like problem? No. Is it easy? No. But, can I look at Sister Tracy's vocation and be drawn to that in some way and take joy in that? Heck yes. Okay? Nashville Dominicans, obsessed. Sisters of Life, obsessed. Oh my gosh. Okay? Who would it be? You talk to them, you're like, oh, they just like you. Tell me more. You know? Really? You do. As women, right, it's, imagine it's like a, a coin. On one side is marriage. On the other side is religious life. It's not that one is better than the other, right? One, objectively speaking, points more clearly to what we're called to in heaven, right? That would be religious life. But one is not better than the other. It's the same point. And you as a woman, if you're called to either one, your call is not what's better or worse objectively. Your call is subjectively, as unique woman that I am, where does my heart come alive? What do I truly desire? Men, the same thing for you. The coin, religious life for the priesthood on one side, marriage on the other side. Objectively, there's a reality that religious life for the priesthood shine forth for us, 
what heaven will be. But subjectively, right, what is the unique location that you are called to where your heart comes alive? So, scripture verses, because we're just going to walk through scripture a little bit and talk. First, I want to read you this verse from the Catechism. So think about this as like part two. Everyone, take a deep breath. Refocus. Okay, I just gave you a lot of like information. Now I want you to just listen and to receive what I think the Lord desires to tell you in terms of your heart. How is your head? Let's move to your heart, which is a very, very, very long distance in between usually. Okay? So, if you have to listen to this later, I'm going to send out all the scripture verses. My invitation to you is this is not about me. This is about me giving you the tools that I hope can aid you in this process and journey of discernment. Men, in what specific way are you called to be a husband and a father? Women, in what specific way are you called to be a wife and a mother? Okay? There's a quote in the Catechism, and it says this. Cherry so love is the soul of the holiness to which all are called. It governs, shapes, and perfects all the means of sanctification and holiness. And then there's a quote from St. Therese to Christ. She says, If the church was a body composed of different members, it couldn't lack the noblest of all. It must have a heart, and a heart burning with love. And I realized that this love alone was the true motive force which enabled the other members of the church to act. If it ceased to function, the apostles would forget to preach the gospel. The martyrs would refuse to shed their blood. Love, in fact, is the vocation, which includes all others. It's a universe of its own, comprising all time and space. It is eternal. Hey, you want to know what your vocation is? You have one question. Lord, how am I called to love? How am I called to love? Where do your desires and the Lord's calling your life come together to form that place? Right? And this takes time. You have to be patient with yourself in answering this question. So, story time. Um, I want you to imagine, just go with me on this. It's my birthday, this is my present. We're all like little kids. What do you want to do with an angry little kid? Like, you want to hear a story. Okay? So I'm going to share some stories with you, go back and forth between stories and scripture. I want you to let your heart be little and delight that, hey, you have a vocation. You're not going to screw it up. You're going to know it when the time is right, and you're going to do it. Okay? You are going to do it when the time is right. So if you stop putting this pressure on yourself, have all the answers right now. When you need the answers, are you listening to me? When you need the answers, the Lord is going to give you the answers. He will provide for you. The Lord himself will fight for you only to be still, meaning live your life. Let God be God and you be the daughter and the son that you're called to be. So, story. Last time I shared this, I'm sharing it again for those of you who weren't here. Really dear friend, this one time I lived in Victoria and I lived in this castle. Okay, to the point. There was this priest that was there from Germany and he's like, to my friend Alex, he's like, Alex, what is the will of God for you? Alex, very deep thinker. He's like, you know, Father, he's like, no, 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 no. Alex, what is the will of God for you? And he's like, I mean, Father, that's what I'm here to try and figure out. And Father's like, no. He's like, the will of God for you is your holiness. The will of God for you is your holiness. Right? 
Y'all, that is the will of God for you. What is the path that you are called upon that makes you the most holy? Right? Not what is the easiest path that I could ever embark upon because I want mine to be easy. Because let me tell you, whatever vocation you are called to, it will not be easy. Because it isn't always will and will cross in some way. But it's the conduit that's bringing you to the resurrection. Um, forgive me if I share some of these stories. It's fine. They're all supposed to go together. I think so. I'm just going to share them. So this one time, I was visiting these um, sisters in uh, Florida, and they were a very young order, and um, so they were working out the kinks of the system, right? Lucky for me. I went to visit. Nothing to do with vocational discernment. I had a crazy year of teaching, right out of college, first year of teaching, all this crazy stuff happened. I'm going for a retreat. This sister and I had this very long conversation on the phone before I went there about vocation. It was very clear, like, hey, um, I'm not coming here to discern religious life, feeling called to marriage, just here to rest. Thought we're on the same page. Until I get there, quickly I realize, whoa, we're not on the same page. They're throwing everything at me about why I should be a sister, etc. This is not how it should go. I'm not saying you should be free to discern religious life. In fact, you all should be open to everything. But this last day, just to show you something when I talk about the vocation awareness, this last particular day, um, they were having this really big event coming up later that week, and so they were doing yard work. So I was staying at the house with the postulants, and um, the weed whackers, two of them, were apparently at the novice house. So one of these postulants walks up to me. She's like, Sarah, there's a patch of grass on the corner next to the St. Therese statue. We really need to cut it. The weed whackers are at the novice house, so can you take these pair of scissors and go cut the grass? To which I responded because of the week that I had, of course I can, sure. So, y'all, that's not normal, okay? Not normal. So I take these pair of scissors and I go to this patch of grass, and I'm like, you know, kneeling, and I'm cutting grass with scissors around this St. Therese statue. Imagine the image, it happened. And as I'm cutting this grass, I'm talking to St. Therese, right? This beautiful quote we just, just heard. I'm talking to St. Therese because I'm like, St. Therese, look, here's the deal. You would probably delight in this. Because everything that you do, you're like, this is an offering for Jesus. This is a gift for Jesus. And I'm like, I want to be like you. I try. But let me tell you, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> dumbest. Hands down. I was like, you know what? I think this is stupid. And Jesus, I don't like this. And I want to offer this to you as a gift, but it's coming with a lot of crazy. Because that's just where I am. So I keep cutting grass on my hands and knees in this corner of Miami. And then all of a sudden, it dawns on me. True story. This is how the Lord works in our lives. He uses everything. And the Lord was like, yeah, because I don't want another saint to rest. I want you to be you. I don't need another saint to rest. I already have one. I didn't make you to be to rest. I made you to be Sarah. Yeah. I was like, oh, but I still have to cut the stupid grass. So like, finish cutting the grass. <laughs> but, planted a seed. That was really important for me. Um, so another story for you. These are to give you hope. And I want to give you hope because um, I want to speak to the reality that in this time of discernment, at times it can be very overwhelming. You just want to have the answer and you want to have it now. What I'm trying to share with you is that I think sometimes we hear these speakers on the Catholic circuit and they're like, I prayed the 54 day version of Mina. And then my husband walked in the door. Or I did this movie in the St. Joseph, and then he showed up, right? Okay, let me just tell you, like, 
done all the movies, guys. It's not year yet, so maybe I'm not doing it right. No, but like, that's not the point. You see, we're laughing, and I can share that with you honestly in total joy. A year ago, maybe not, because it was a little bit like, what the heck is your problem, Lord? But now, I'm like, that's not the time. Y'all, I know this is so hard to receive, but in the fullness of time is when the promise comes. The fullness of time. The fullness of your time, it's in, it's in process. It's becoming. There is no wasted time. Should you pray the novenas? Yes. But not because it's like a magic trick that suddenly you pray it and like, poof, your spouse shows up. Or, poof, the perfect religious order is suddenly introduced to you. Or, poof, the diocese calls you and you're like, we really feel like you're calls the priesthood. No. It doesn't work like that. You know what praying does? All prayer and sacraments, what they do? What they do is they change you from the inside out. Right? What they do is they help you to understand who I am and what do I truly desire. Then and only then will I have the eyes to see to whom he has called me. Does that make sense? So I'm saying, I'm standing in front of you as most of my friends are married and starting on having their first child. So hard to have their first child, okay? Sometimes I'm like, dude, uh, Jesus, so glad. Like, if this were a race, if it were a race, it's not, but if it were, I'm like, dang it, like, they're like, And we take the turn as we take the exit. 
And wouldn't you know, I've never seen this in my life, except for this one time. Spray painted, like huge, across this building. It says, expect miracles. I just said like five seconds ago, it's going to require a miracle. And I'm like, Thanks, Lord. Expect a miracle. Expect a miracle. And y'all, that word has resounded in my heart in the most random times in my life in the last several years. So if you are listening at all right now, I want you to hear me when I say, expect miracles. Now listen, what is a miracle? Okay, my name means a lot to me. If I know what your name means, it means something. Um, mine means princess. I know. But the point is, in the Old Testament, okay, there is Sarai, and her name was changed. Sarah. Same woman, and there was a promise that was offered. The promise offered to Sarai is that you, as the wife of Abraham, will be the mother of many nations. The mother of many nations. She's like 80, 90 something years old. Okay, that's what we call infertile, can't have children. So she's like, cool. Yep. Don't really, uh, I mean, sure. So what does she do, like any good woman? What do we struggle with? Control and manipulation. She's like, okay. God said that I would be the mother of many nations. Means I need to have a kid. Abraham's my husband. Uh, Abraham, sleep with Hagar, have a child, and then I'll be the mother of many nations, right? She did that. God was like, not what I was going for. It's had a lot of issues, even till today, if you look at wars and stuff. Um, we're not going to talk about that. But then what happens? He changes her name, her name is Sarah. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, through the promise, miracles will happen. How does she have a child? Not through someone else, through the gift of her own womb. Because God opens her womb, right? And she then has who? Isaac? Which means what? Laughter? Because what happens when miracles happen in your life? You, they're so absurd that you start laughing. Right? Like, that literally happens to me sometimes. Because I'm sitting in a coffee shop and I'm like, uh, I'm in Rome right now. Last week I was in New Orleans. Eh, okay, what is my life? This is crazy. And I started laughing because, because I'm able to see and been praying for the eyes to see for years the miracle that's around me. Do you understand? The point is about receiving the gifts of the promise. Receiving the gifts of the promise. One more story that I want to share with you. And then I want to share just a few scriptures. So, this is like really me sharing, so you're welcome. Um, this is like, oh, thanks for thinking my jokes are funny. This was about six years ago. I was at this conference. It was on the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And Carmel means garden. And I'm like, oh, Our Lady, like your heart. Like the Lord made the new garden, like within you, and then you had Christ, and like all these amazing things. Started in trying to be in control. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm called to be a sister. I don't make any sense to you. It's not logical. It's just a brain mind, okay? And I'm like, oh, because I had this belief. So I'm speaking this out loud because I think sometimes this is common to more people than realize. I had this wrong belief that, wait, if I can marry Jesus, then, like, Lord, maybe, like, if I don't become a sister, like, maybe I don't love you enough. And I want to give you everything. So, like, gosh, Lord, like, if you want me to be a sister, then I'll be a sister because I want to give you everything. I don't want to shortchange you. Right? I don't want to say I love you with my whole heart and then be like, peace out, like, down him. No. 
I won't do that. And the Lord is working through this to teach me a lot. So I'm in prayer after this particular mass. And I'm like, Lord, this had happened for a few years. First, I was afraid to lose your religious life. Because I was like, they're going to call my religious life. I don't want to be a nun. Okay? So then I'm like, okay, well, I got to be open to this. Because this is the potential, right? You need to be open. So I start falling in love with religious life. Because if you really look at it, it's beautiful. And I'm asking this particular question to the Lord. Like, Lord, is this what you desire for me? And you know how, like, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you keep speaking and they're like, stop. And you're not listening, they're like, stop, 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 stop. They're trying to, like, stop your thoughts for a second to speak truth to you. It's kind of like that moment. Because all of a sudden, and the Lord does not talk to me audibly, except for, like, this one time. It wasn't, like, audible. I don't know explain it. The point is he spoke clear. And he was like, but Sarah, what if I want to give to you the gift of a husband. Will you deny the gift? What if I want to give to you the gift of a husband? Will you deny the gift? And I was like, wait, you flipped the tables on that one. Like, that's not what I was expecting. Hold on. And then all of a sudden, y'all, all the pieces fell into place. Our vocation is a gift. Do you know what it felt like when you were a little kid on your birthday or on Christmas? You're so excited to unwrap the gift, right? That's what it's like. He's like, I'm trying to prepare for you this great gift. And we hear a lot in these circles that like, our vocation is about us dying to ourselves, right? And it is. But I want you to understand that your vocation is also about you being loved. The question, honestly, almost before, how am I called to love, is, Lord, how are you calling me to receive love? As requested, I thought. The question is, how am I being called to receive love? So, for men and women, the question is the same. God is not trying to force you into a vocation. He's not trying to say, if you love me enough, you will be a priest. If you love me enough, you will be a sister. No, what he's saying is, hey, will you let me love you? And will you receive the gifts and how I want to offer that love to you? Praise God, in this room, we have all of the vocations, right? A few people in this room are taking vows. Most of us have not yet. This time right here is so pregnant, I use that word literally, pregnant with grace. Because there's grace that is being had within this moment, and there's grace that is being prepared for the moment that we each say, I do. In your discernment, and you will get these scripture verses, just want you to hear some of them. First, from Ephesians 6, let's see if I have it in general, typical, no. So, this is about the spiritual battle. I want you to understand that before this, this is the scripture verse in Ephesians 5, where God says to be mutually submissive to each other out of reverence for Christ. And then wives be submissive to your husbands. And husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. So this means that women are called to receive the gift and the mission of men choosing to die for love of them. And I don't know if you know any good women, but like, if we're strong and stubborn, okay, it's really hard. I can do it better. No, 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 no. Sometimes the death of self involves letting another die for you. What if he wants to give to you the gift 
of another who wants to, hey, their salvation is connected to them being allowed to offer the gift of themselves to you. Right? And vice versa. So, with the spiritual battle, it says, Finally, and this is your call right now, guys. Hey, marriage is under attack. Let me just claim this really quick for a second. I'm going to take five more minutes because it's my birthday. Okay? So, we're there is a flippant attack on the entire institution of marriage. Completely, right now. Because we are really struggling to even claim that there's a difference anymore between men and women. If the enemy can confuse sexuality, he's got marriage in a bag. AKA, what's legalized now in America? Same-sex marriage. That's our word, right? Really, it's our word. But legally they took it, but we want to take it back. This is a spiritual reality, first and foremost, before it's anything. Because if someone is in a same-sex marriage, are they any less than you or me? No. I got issues you just don't know about, right? So no one's better than the other. What I'm saying is, is God desires for us to have life and have an abundance. But we need to fight in the battle. And this is how it tells us in Scripture to do that. He says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So, stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth around your waist, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It says, besides all these, Take the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. All of those lies that are telling you God is not going to provide for your vocation, those are literally flaming darts of the evil one. Flaming darts, that's why they hurt when they pierce you from the inside. Your protection and your guard is, is your faith. And what does he say? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Guys, if this is not wasted time, if the Lord is preparing you for the gifts of your vocation, whether that is religious life, or the priesthood, or marriage, this is the time for you to come to know who you are by engaging in the battle. Fight. As your sister, I'm calling you and begging you to fight. Because I need the truth and the witness and the light of your vocation, which is your unique vocation, to be either a father or a mother, both of which bring life into this world, spiritually first and biologically potentially. And before you go running off to read every single book on um, what is my vocation, we can do that, y'all. It helps us to learn. But at the end of the day, this is the conversation between you and the Lord. And there's a verse from Sirach that I have forgotten for a while, and on the way here I remembered. And I think it's for you, and it's provided me a lot of comfort. And it says, Establish the counsel of your own heart, for no one is more faithful to you than it is. For a man's soul sometimes keeps him better informed than seven watchmen sitting high on a watchtower. And besides all this, Pray to the Most High that He may direct your way in truth. Establish the counsel of your own heart, meaning what the heck do I really want? 
You gotta realize that first, guys. What do you want? Ask the Lord to help you see and know and claim what do you want. And realize that your heart is more faithful to you. It says in seven watchmen sitting behind a watchtower. Imagine this image. There's a stone wall protecting a kingdom, and there are seven watchmen who literally are watching the horizon for the sun, and more than anything, for the movement of anything on the horizon, which could be danger, coming to attack. Seven of them, and your heart is more faithful to you than those seven watchmen, because your heart desires to tell you what it is that you truly want. It then tells you, direct your way to the Most High, and He will guide you in truth. And two more verses. I'm going to send you like 20 verses. I'm only going to for two. Know that this is not all on you. This is the Holy Spirit, right? So it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not, we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints of God, excuse me, for the saints according to the will of God. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Whatever it is that you have experienced in your life, whatever it is that may be done to you, that you have done, it says that God works together everything for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. I want you to hear this. If you remember nothing else, expect miracles number one. Number two, God works together everything, everything, everything for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Put that on a sticky note. Save it in your phone. But you need to claim that out loud when you're struggling to believe that God is going to provide for your vocation or that somehow you have messed it up because you have not messed it up. One more thought and then the last quote and then I'll close it for what I have not talked about tonight is the single vocation. I'm not here to open up a can of worms with the single vocation, but a lot of people probably have questions about it. I saw myself in wrestling with what does that mean. But there are some amazing women I know that are older and not married, and they feel called to marriage, and they're in this single life. I believe that there is a true battle going on for marriage, and that some women and men are called to be martyrs for marriage in a spiritual sense. I'm not saying it's going to happen to you. I'm just saying that there are men and women that are fighting the reality that evil is trying to win against good. But the reality still prevails that God himself will fight for you. You have only to be still. I promise you, I bet my entire life on it right now in front of you. Whatever is best for you, the Lord will provide for you. And to reverence and respect those if someone says they're called to the single life or they're in the single location, that's where they feel called, understand that in this nonsense of a culture that we live in, people have also been abused or experienced trauma in such ways that maybe they cannot receive the gift of something like marriage or religious life. And they are being faithful to their own hearts by staying in this place with the Lord. Right? I can't judge them for that. Do I desire more for that? Do I desire them to take vows and marry Jesus so they can be super healed? Sure. But that's mine. That's our daily spot. That doesn't mean it's the Lord. Is this making sense? We have to reverence and respect where people are and understand that in an instant, 
God can move in someone's life. In an instant, you can meet the person that you're supposed to marry. In an instant, if you're called to the priesthood, your heart can well up with desire and be on fire. In an instant, you can meet the sister and you're like, whoa! More than anything else, including marriage, I desire this. All we're asking is that you be open as a daughter or a son to receive the gift of your vocation from the Father. And take with you this last verse, which is simple. All it says is, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You have one command in this, and this is an invitation more than a command. I beg you, take delight in the Lord. If you take delight in him, he will, he will, he will, 100%, give you the desires of your heart. Not Sarai style, Sarah style, where you wait patient and long-suffering. But hey, I'm with you, and I'm telling you, I would not rather my life be any other way. I cannot wait to get married. Holy cow, you have no idea. But the reality is that that time has not come yet, and I would not trade this time that I've experienced up till now, because there are gifts and ways that I've been able to offer myself and receive love in the mission that the Lord's given me that would not have been possible had I been married sooner, and I would have been frustrated. I, as Sarah did uniquely as me, would not have reached the fulfillment of my own heart's desires, which right now involve me standing in front of you and talking to you on my birthday. It's crazy, I know. But this, to me, right, there's even a spiritual mother going here because I can offer you this life. So, whatever you are called to, take courage and know that whatever the Lord desires for you, if you take delight in Him, in his time and in the best way possible, because he works everything together for good, he will provide for you. Amen. Okay. Let me